Galatians chapter 5, 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you, God, for your word that forever stands short, that though everything around us is shifting sand, your word is established before even the foundations of the earth, that you are forevermore, you are everlasting to everlasting, and that is who we serve. It's we serve you, God. So help us to be built upon the rock, which is you. Help us, God, to look to you in this time of chaos, to look to you as our peace, as one who never changes. And regardless of the circumstances and the flurry of activity around us, God, give us a trust and a steadfastness in you, God. And he whose mind is stayed upon you, you will keep in perfect peace. Let that be the testimony of your church here today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at the aspect of peace. And just to backtrack a little bit before we look at the peace of God, what peace is, it's important to note that Paul uses this fruit of the Spirit in the singular. He does not say the fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit. He, did, he does call the works of the flesh the plural works of the flesh, how they manifest themselves in various ways through the lust of the flesh. But it's very, it's very interesting and very important that we understand that Paul has declared that the fruit of the Spirit are singular. And that it is a cluster that through the power of the Spirit of God, which has regenerated us by faith in Christ, we become a part of the family of God, that we are given all at once this fruit of the Spirit as a cluster. You could think of it not as individual fruit that are given to you, but as a gift basket. As a fruit basket where it's all bundled in one, it's given to you. All those fruit, those nine, which are not exhaustive, could include other fruit of the Spirit. All those are given to us at once. And so as opposed to the gifts of the Spirit, which are given individually as the Spirit of God wills, okay, for, for to the members of, of the body of Christ, as God wills for the edification of the people, for the glorification of God, those are individually given as he wills, but the fruit of the Spirit is given to every person who is regenerated by the Spirit of the living God. And so it's very important to understand that you are given everything you need when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's given to you all at once as far as the fruit of the Spirit. And so when we look at this under this, this word, this, this, this particular aspect of the fruit, which is peace... Um, this Greek word, and I'm probably not going to say it right, but it's spelled E-I-R-E-N-E, -E, Irenea, something to that effect. And it's where we get our English word, Irene, I-R-E-N-E. -E. And of course, the Hebrew word for peace, you'd be very, you may be very familiar with, is shalom. And so those are the Greek and the Hebrew words for peace. And it's interesting in the New Testament that every single book includes this word peace. Every single book of the New Testament, with the exception of 1 John, includes this word peace. It's oftentimes um, in the opening of the epistles, Paul asks for peace 
uh, upon the people he was writing to. And if you just look at an outline of biblical usage of this word peace, there's, there's multiple ways in which it's used and, and the way and what it means in biblical usage. Uh, but the understanding of peace could have the, uh, the, the definition as a state of national tranquility. That is, that is physical peace. That is peace on a national level. That is an exemption from the rage and havoc of war. And oftentimes you look in the Old Testament that kings, uh, the uh, Isra Israeli kings, uh, whenever they obeyed God, they followed the law. There was, the Bible would often say that they had peace with their enemies. That as they obeyed God spiritually, God gave them peace from their enemies all around and all, even allowed them to dominate the enemies around them. So there was this physical um, outside manifestation of peace. Uh, another understanding of this word in its biblical usage, that is peace between individuals. That is harmony or concord between individuals, between two individuals or between a group of people. Where there is, there is no disunity or harm intended between the two individuals or group of people. There's peace between two individuals. Um, after the Hebrew word shalom, it could also mean security, safety, prosperity, felicity, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. If you recall in Judges chapter 6, where Gideon was fretful and worrying about the task before him, uh, God presented himself to him and he said, peace be with you. And shortly thereafter, uh, Gideon made a sacrifice to the Lord, and it's there that he offered up a sacrifice, and he called that place um, Yahweh Shalom, that is, God is peace. And um, in another sense of way that it's used, it is used of the Messiah's peace, that is, the way that leads to peace, that is, salvation through Jesus Christ. And lastly, the way that it's used in the Bible, this word peace, is of Christianity, that is, for the Christian, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. So you have the peace that is made with Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, peace um, that is the Prince of Peace. And then that is the peace of God that the Christian has access to. It's very interesting, just as a side note, that in the early church, the first century church, the, he, the Greek words for joy... And peace were actually names, given names to people during that period of time. The, the Greek word for joy is C-H-A-R-A-S. And that was often, that is a, a, a name given in Kara, C-A-R-A. And also people were named Irene in the first century church. Named after directly from joy and peace. And anybody named Irene in the English uh, terminology comes directly from that Greek word. And that's very interesting that uh, two very common Christian names in the early church were Kara and Irene, joy and peace. And so there are two aspects of the peace of God that I want to share with you here tonight. And it is very relevant to the events that are occurring around us. It is very relevant to our human existence and life experience. It's very relevant to what we see on the news. And it's very explanatory and lets us understand what is happening around us. And so the two aspects of the peace of God, the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace, that I want to teach here tonight, are these two things. It is peace with God 
And consequently, through peace with God, we have the peace of God. You cannot experience the peace of God except that you have peace with God first and foremost. And so in the understanding of peace with God, if we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 76. So Luke chapter 1, verse 76. This is Zechariah, the, uh, John the Baptist's father, who is prophesying concerning his son, John the Baptist, who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. And here's what Zechariah says concerning both his son, John the Baptist, and concerning the one for whom he is making the way, the Messiah. He says in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, And you, child, that is, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Into the way of peace. And if you go over to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 13. This is... Jesus is there wrapped in swatting clothes and the angels uh, appear. And in verse uh, thir 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. A very... Um, great conflict that we see when we look at the Israeli and Palestinian conflict, a great lack of peace and a great deal of hatred and animosity between these two groups of people that really is based in, in a biblical genealogy, uh, a, 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 a warring of two sons, if you will. And you see this peace. But when it comes to what these angels came and declared to the people, that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men, the peace that was declared by these angels in Luke chapter 2 was not a peace between nations or people. It was not an announcement of the cessation of oppressive Roman rule. The angels celebrated because the peace that was now on earth would be able to bring an end to the longest running conflict with the greatest intensity and the most severe consequences. A greater conflict than there is in Myanmar, a greater conflict than there is in North Korea and South Korea, a greater conflict than there is with ISIS and any terrorist group or the, any uh, a conflict which is greater than the Israeli-Palestinian ordeal. There is a longer-running conflict and a more serious conflict that is at play here. And this conflict is the conflict that exists between God and man. There is a lack of peace between man and God Almighty, who is their creator. All and all conflict, it's important that we understand this, and it's extremely relevant to what we face in the land and globally right now with this crisis. All conflict between man is simply the outworking of the conflict man has with God. 
Sin has created enmity between God and man. And because there is, there is conflict in the household, the reason there's conflict there, the reason there's conflict in nations and armies and people is first and foremost because there is a conflict between a fallen, unregenerate man and with a holy God who is their creator. That is the most important conflict and that is, that is ground zero for peace needing to take effect. That is the greatest crisis we face here today. And the reason because the reason we have sickness, the reason we have the coronavirus, the reason we have we have a sickness and death, the reason we have unrest is for, first and foremost because of sin. Sin has entered the world through the fall in the garden and because sin has entered death and sickness has entered. Labor and toil has entered. And from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were separated from God. And I'm so thankful that even before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain. And God had made provisions for peace between man and God. God has a conflict with us. We have a conflict with Him. He is angry with the sinner because he has, they have sinned against him. But God's judgment is not unwarranted because all of us, without Jesus, we are enemies of God. We are enemies of God. I'll get to that more so in a moment. But if you look here at Luke chapter 2, verse 14, a, a, really a better rendering of this, and you'll see this in, in, in manuscripts that are older and, and uh, the broader base of manuscripts that some of these newer translations are able to use, a, a more better rendering of this verse might be something like this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased, or to men on whom his favor rests. Okay? It's important you understand, God's peace is not given to those who have good will but to those who are recipients of God's goodwill or favor. You and yourself do not have the favor of God outside of the person of Jesus Christ. And so peace can only come into the world through the person of Jesus Christ. We know that none of us can gain favor from God by our own works and merit because God is at peace with His Son, Jesus God can be at peace with us through faith in His Son. And so this is why the angels say, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, and a better rendering might be, and on earth peace among men with whom He is well pleased or upon whom His favor rests. And this peace that the angels lauded and glorified that was coming through this little child that was in swaddling clothes and in a manger at this time, it was not for him to bring peace with the Hebrew people in the Roman Empire. It was not to bring peace in an outward sense. It was first and foremost to get to the root of the matter, which is our, our greatest problem in this world. It was to bring peace between God and man. And Jesus is our peace. He is the mediator between God and man. Listen to this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is what all of Galatians is about. And we looked at this in our study of Galatians leading up to chapter 5 of Galatians. The Galatians were wanting to be justified not just by faith in Christ, but they want to be justified by also, in addition to the blood of Jesus, they want to be justified by the works of the law. And Paul made it very clear. No man is justified by the works of the law. The law was only there to find you guilty before God and to condemn you by the work of your sins. And it was only there to be a tutor, to be a guard, until a man who was born of woman, that is Jesus Christ, to be a curse for us, nailed upon a cross, so that all the handwriting of requirements that were against us, that is the law, could be nailed along with Jesus, and now we could have peace with God. And he goes on to say, For what the law cannot do in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. All the law could do was condemn, find you condemned because of your sin. But Jesus has condemned sin in our flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we look at Galatians chapter five. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? To walk in the spirit means you can only walk in the spirit if you are living in the spirit. Living in the spirit is contrary to living under the law, under the bondage of the law. Now we access by faith. Jesus Christ, faith in Him, the Spirit of God is put into my life. I'm regenerated. I'm given His nature, His divine nature, His divine power into my life. And now I can walk in the Spirit because I have the power of the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by the law, but by Jesus who has come to fulfill the law. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. This life and peace comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. He is life. He is our peace. Not just that He gives you peace. He Himself gives me life. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and yet he loved me and he died for me. I was at conflict and, and at enmity with God. I was an enemy of God. I had rebelled against God. And now he and he alone, through the Spirit, accessed by faith, he is my peace. Because the carnal man, the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal man, the natural man, the man without God is at odds, is at conflict with God, is at enmity with God. You cannot please God through the works of the law, through the works of your flesh. You can't please God. And furthermore, we're born into trespasses and sins. We're born into iniquity. And we cannot save ourselves. For it is not uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, by your own works, by your own good deeds, cannot make peace with God. You cannot do enough where your good works outweighs your bad so that you can just somehow, somehow heap up enough good works to where you can climb up on top of them and finally touch God. They're never good enough. There's never enough good works in yourself to make you pleasing and give you merit before God. All of your works, everything you do in your own power and strength outside of being in Christ is as filthy rags. Your own righteousness outside of Christ is as filthy rags. You can do nothing to bring peace between you and God. You can't give enough to the church. You can't be at church enough, do enough to gain access to the throne of God. That access comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation to those who are in, not the law, in Christ Jesus. And so, where Zacharias, he declares that his son, John the Baptist, is going to be the greatest prophet of all. He's going to be a prophet of the Most High. This is so beautiful how that he prophesies of John's work, but then he also indicates the nature and the, the way and the reason by which Jesus the Messiah is coming. If you look back at John or Luke chapter 1 and verse uh, 77, the Messiah, he will come to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited. That word day spring means dawn, literally means dawn. So that we are in our sins Sons of disobedience, we're living in darkness. We're a part of the kingdom of darkness. The, the devil is our father. We're a part of this world system. Our eyes are blinded by the God of this world. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And our, our lives are marked by darkness. Our lives are marked by the works of the flesh that we looked at earlier in Galatians chapter 5. And it's we're all in darkness and we can do nothing to navigate our way out of this realm of darkness. There's nothing you can do. There's absolutely nothing you can do. In the same way that Pharaoh and all of Egypt, by one of those plagues, which was absolute utter darkness, there was nothing they could do to get outside of this darkness that had so so thickly enveloped them, so is the spiritual state of all without Christ. But the day spring from on high has visited us. The dawn, the morning has come, the sun has risen, and Jesus comes onto the scene to give light, verse 79 says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. That is your state without Christ. You are in death. You are dead and you are sitting in darkness and you have no power and strength in your own self to navigate and to get yourself out of this state of darkness and condemnation by your sin. But he has come to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The only way to navigate out of this this envelopment of darkness that descends and that we're descends upon the unbeliever, which we're born into as as a and as unbelievers without Christ, we're born into our sin, we're born into darkness. And the only way to be let out of this darkness, the only way to be let out of the shadow of death is to be is for our feet to be guided 
into the way of peace. And, and that word there for peace, you can just substitute and put the name Jesus there. Because Jesus is our peace. He is the one who is the mediator of the new covenant. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. That is the law. And we find ourselves condemned under the law. You always find yourself coming short when you put yourself up against the law. But Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. He lived a perfect and holy life. And not only that, he died for you, for me, so that I am no longer condemned to my sin. And now simple faith and trust in him brings the Holy Spirit into my life. And it delivers me from the bondage of sin and death and this kingdom of darkness. And I am guided and I'm translated into the kingdom of His Son. Into this kingdom of light. And I have peace with God. I have peace with God. The greatest matter of any person's life is this. Are you at peace with God? Is God at peace with you? Is there a conflict between you and God? And no amount of good works and good deeds can bring God's goodwill or favor into your life. It's only those who have made peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the crux of the gospel. We have to realize first and foremost, we are not born children of God. No person is naturally a, a child of God. You are born. We are all, all born in iniquity and sin. The same sin of our mother and father, the same sin of our parents, Adam and Eve, we're all born into sin. And we are enemies of God. That is the position of every, of every person outside of Christ. We are enemies of God and the wrath of God abides upon us. That is the state that we find ourselves in without Christ. One more scripture before I move on to the next aspect of this piece. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read this very, very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, this beautifully lays out our pre-Christ condition and our post-Christ condition. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in, what, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. By nature, by default, we are children of wrath. We're not children of God. The wrath of God abides upon us. We're children of wrath. We're children of disobedience. But I'm so thankful for verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. With Christ. There is no life. There is no freedom outside of Christ. Never. Never. There's no peace. There's no life. There's no freedom. There's no deliverance from bondage outside of Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I once was sitting in darkness, as Luke chapter 1 said, sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. And now I've been translated to heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse 6 says, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Last two verses here before I move on. For by grace you have been saved 
through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And what is the theme of Galatians chapter 5? Justification by faith. <clears throat> Justification by faith. And that's oftentimes the theme of various chapters in the book of Romans. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that out of yourselves it is the gift of God. You haven't saved yourself. It's a gift of God. That gift is Jesus. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Add nothing else to that. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a beautiful existence we have in Christ Jesus. We no longer work, walk after the works of the flesh, but now we've been delivered from them. We're justified before God. Our hearts changed and renewed. And now we can walk in this abundant life because we have peace with God and we have power over sin. And now the manifest work of God is exhibited through my life. This fruit of the Spirit comes through my life. I'm prepared as a work, uh, as a, I'm His workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. And I can only do those good works with the Spirit of God within me. That's what gives me any merit. And so, his goodwill and his favor rest upon me because first and foremost, he is pleased with his son, that is Jesus Christ. And the only way God can be pleased with you is if you have made peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then and only then can you experience the true peace of God. So number two, number one, that was, that is the peace that we need with God. <clears throat> the peace we need with God. And that is different from now, the peace of God. Through peace with God, we're given Jesus, and now He is our peace, and we've been reconciled back to relationship, and we have fellowship with the Father. Now, now we are privileged to have the peace of God as children of God. Everything that is the Father's is also the children's. And in this time of crisis and chaos, and empty shelves. Me and my wife, we went to Walmart yesterday, and I just thought it was just amazing. All the lunch meat was gone, all the bread was gone, all the toilet paper, was, everything was gone, and you just see, without, without even seeing the people who took it, you can see the remnants uh, of just a few things left on the grocery, grocery uh, shelf, and you're, you're just thinking, this is not, this is just surreal. They're, 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 this is just odd, it's strange, it's eerie. Um, for many people, it's, it's very scary, and they are motivated by fear. But in this day and age, and especially in this very hour, we need the peace of God. And once you're at peace with God, you are granted the privilege to experience the peace of God. So I want to, I want to explain what this is, how we can walk in this, and how we can access this through the Lord. So peace of God. When we talk about the peace of God, this is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot and whatsoever sort that is. I found that wonderful explanation in the commentary. It is this place of tranquility not dictated by the circumstances around me. The same thing with joy. Joy is not dictated by the circumstances around me. You often hear happiness is determined by the circumstances you find yourself in. Joy is, is not determined by what you're experiencing. It is a place 
that you have spiritually and inside in the midst of a storm, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. You can have joy and you can have peace because you have Jesus. And so it is this place of tranquility, this place of just simple rest in Christ because we are fearing nothing because we are safe in the arms of God and we're content with our current position in Christ, we can face whatever it is, virus or no virus, whether it be cancer, death, car wreck, whether it be financial crisis, whether it be a wayward child, we can have peace with God because we can have the peace of God because we're at peace with God. If you recall in John chapter 14, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. He was preparing them for his, his eventual uh, arrest and death and resurrection and his ascension. That he would be gone very soon in bodily form. And he was preparing them in the latter parts of, of John. And in John chapter 14 he says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's important, he says, peace I live with, leave with you. And not just any peace, my peace I give you. My peace. And then later on in, in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Peace is not found outside of Jesus Christ. It's His peace and it's in Him, He said, that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. That is guaranteed. You will have tribulation. I love how Jesus is very frank and very open with us. Full disclaimer, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to experience tribulation and heartache and sickness and even death. That, that is a fact of life in this fallen, sin-sick world. We will face something. We will face persecution. And every godly person in this word faced persecution. They faced challenges. They faced tribulation. He says, you in the world, you will have tribulation because you're in this world. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world because Jesus has overcome the world. I'm not trusting in anything that is transitory. I'm not trusting in Walmart. I'm not trusting in the government. I'm not trusting in Congress. I'm not trusting in Trump. I'm not trusting in the World Health Organization. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. He is the one who has overcome the grave and has overcome death. That is the one who I've placed my trust in. And he is saying, you will have tribulation. You will have hard times. You will have suffering and affliction. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Because I have overcome the world, my peace will overcome this current circumstances. My peace will be sufficient for the tribulation that you will face. Because I am an overcoming God. My peace is an overcoming Peace. It will not dissolve in the face of chaos and affliction. And we go to this the wonderful scripture that many of us know. If you go now to Philippians chapter 4, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Let me wrap it up right here. One of the, the most quintessential verses when it comes to the peace of God and how to deal with anxiety and worry. While you're turning there, if you recall, in Matthew chapter 6, at the end of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about how that we should not worry. Do not worry for what you will eat 
or what you will wear and all the necessities of life. He's saying, don't worry. Don't worry. It's not going to add a cubit to your stature. It's not going to help you in any, any way if we worry and we allow anxiety to dictate our actions, the way we think, the way we conduct ourselves in this life. He's saying, don't worry. It does no good at all. It does no good at all. And he's saying, God takes care of the sparrow. He clothes the lily of the valley with great splendor. He takes care of everything in this world. God will take care of you. He knows you have need of clothing and a job and bills being paid and of, and of food. He knows all that. And he knows, he knows even the Gentiles seek after these things. And he knows you need those things. But before you worry and fret and you become anxious over everything around you, he is saying in Matthew 6.33, he says it all like this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Seek God first. Be in his presence. Spend time with him. Pray. Seek him in the throne room of grace and mercy that you may receive help in your time of need. Go to him in your time of tribulation. Seek him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love him. Seek him first. He'll take care of everything else. He will take care of everything else. He will give you contentment even in light of want. Even when you lack what you know you need, he will give you contentment and he will meet your needs. He promised that. And so Philippians chapter four, let me end right here. Be anxious, verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Don't be overwhelmed by society, what you see around you, by the needs in your individual life <clears throat> or the needs on a corporate level. Don't be anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing. That's a command. Don't worry. Be anxious over COVID-19. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Does it mean that you should have a healthy concern and you should take proper precautions? Yes. It doesn't mean we should go out at foolish and disregard uh, um, the, 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 the advice given to us by our health officials. But it, it means don't be fretful and worrisome and anxious over whatever it is that you're experiencing in life. Don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in everything, in every circumstance, in every season of life, by prayer and supplication, going before the feet of God, going into the presence of God by supplication, with thanksgiving, going to God not just with a poor me mentality, things are just so horrible, but go to Him with a thankful heart, thanking Him, first of all, that you have access to the throne of God because you have peace with God. You are able to access this throne of God, this throne of grace, boldly because of what Jesus has done. Do it with thanksgiving. You are privileged. You are privileged to approach the throne of God Almighty. Do it with thanksgiving. Do it with expectation. Do it without anxiety or worrisome spirit, but with by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do tell your request to God. Tell him, I, I have need of this. 
I, I'm dealing with this. I, I need peace. I, I, I need this, this anxiety to be dispelled in my life. The temptation to worry. The temptation to, to, to go with the flow of, of, of uh, fearful individuals. He's saying, go to him with prayer supplication, with thanksgiving. Make your request made known to God. And then the peace of God. Because I have peace with God through Jesus, I'm coming to him because I'm in Christ. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's not a peace of this world. It's Jesus's peace. It's a peace that has overcome the world. And because it's overcome the world, it doesn't make sense to the natural mind, the carnal mind. It surpasses your own understanding, your own intellect. It comes not of this world as a supernatural peace. And this peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This word guard is a military term. When we think of peace, we think of uh, just even the English word Irene, an Irenic uh, a painting, an irenic scene, a peaceful scene. Okay, we think of peace. We don't think of peace in the sense of, of, of uh, military terms. We don't think of, of peace being noted by warfare, if you will. But the peace of God is a guardian. The peace of God has a, has a spear and sword in its hand. And it guards over your whole being, your heart and your mind. And Paul using the... Uh, saying it will guard your heart and mind. He's just simply saying it will guard your whole being. The peace of God, will, it will be a guardian over your, over your soul. It will be a guardian over your thoughts and your thinking. And despite what your eyes see all around you, despite what your eyes see with the bare shelves at the grocery store, the peace of God, it will surpass all understanding. It will come and flood your life. And it will guard against any thoughts of fear. It will guard against worry and anxiety. It will, it will fight off with great, fierce, with great uh, fury all those thoughts that want to flood into your life. The peace of God will do that. And let me end right here. Here's furthermore how you do that. Furthermore, he says, Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't meditate on how bad it is. Don't meditate on how chaotic it is around you. Don't meditate on anything that would bring negative, negative thoughts into your life that would cause you to descend into a place of anxiety and worry. He's saying place your mind above this world. Get above the sun. Don't be under the sun in your thinking. Get above the sun. Get over the sun. Look to Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Meditate on those things which go for your spiritual edification. He says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Not just the peace of God, but the God of peace. Because Jesus is peace. He himself and everything we have in Jesus. When we're in Christ, we have everything that he is. We have his peace. We have his joy. We have his goodness. We have all of those marvelous, wonderful things that we have through sonship and adoption to the family of God. We will experience the 
peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And as we meditate upon those things which are heavenly, which are above, we get our thinking outside of this world and we cast our eyes upon Jesus and the God of peace will be with you. What a wonderful privilege we have in this day and time. In the midst of fear, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of really a confusing and questioning time, what a wonderful opportunity for us to be testimonies, for us to be a city shining on a hill, which everyone will see that they have peace in their life and they're going through things. They have, they've had cancer in their lives. They have sickness. They're going through a pandemic and yet they have peace in their lives. There's a tranquility. There is an inner peace in their lives that is not dictated. And that is the testimony that I want for my life, that I want for this church, that I want for you, for anyone listening. And that peace of God and the God of peace that he can come and comfort us, it only comes through first a peace with God to the person of Jesus Christ. This is the wonderful opportunity we have. And I would just ask you to ask yourself, for anyone listening, anyone watching this, are you at peace with God? When circumstances, when things happen like this in this world, as I said earlier, <clears throat> it highlights our frailty. It magnifies how small and insignificant we are. We think we are high and mighty and that we are invincible and that uh, nothing can take us down. And just like that, the world markets, trade, uh, events, everything has come to a standstill worldwide by a virus. And it's of utmost importance that you are at peace with God because you don't know what's going to happen, what's around the corner. You don't know what uh, your future will lead to. You don't know when your next breath will be. This is not fear-mongering, but this is a truth of life. It's of utmost, utmost importance that we use this time to really look at, am I in Christ? Am I at peace with God? There are a lot of people with a false sense of peace because they're trying to do things in their own merit. But that's as filthy rags. But when you come to the end of yourself, you humble yourself, you cry out to God, you fall down before Him, and you say, God have mercy. He has mercy. And He can bring peace between you and a holy, righteous, righteous God whose wrath abides upon you. You can call upon Him. And just like that, you can have peace with God. It is of most, of most importance that we examine we examine our position before God and that we are in Christ and that we are at peace with God. And with this peace with God, we have the peace of God. What a wonderful privilege we have. What a wonderful thing we can access simply by prayer, simply by reaching out through supplication with thanksgiving. We can have this peace that surpasses all understanding. I just encourage you, meditate on those things which are heavenly, which are above. Keep your eyes stayed on Jesus. Just, just all those things will maintain a positive attitude. All those things will cause you to, to look upon, though you see chaos around you, it will give you an inner peace. It will give you a tranquility. And most of all, it will allow you to minister to the needs of people around you. We love you very much. Again, April 1st, we intend to be back here meeting together. 
But I'm, I'm so glad for this opportunity to use this technology, to use Facebook, to lead, use live streaming, to still be here with you, to be, encourage one another. Please be sure to encourage our church family if it's by text or by phone. Please make us aware of anybody who may be in need, who may be vulnerable, may not have family to help them. We want to be a blessing and meet the needs of people in our church. <clears throat> I, I just love you very much. We love you very much. We pray for God's blessing upon your life. I'd like to pray with you before we leave. God, I just pray that for every person listening, every person watching, that your peace, which surpasses all understanding, would flood into their lives, God. This is a supernatural peace. This is not a peace that is conjured up. This is not a peace that we learn by reading a book. It is peace that comes through fellowship in you. And it first and foremost comes with peace through your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us be at peace with you and let us experience this peace from you, this peace that you grant to your children and let it be a guard against anxiety and worry and fear. Let us allow your peace to rebuke and to guard us against every fretful and worrisome thought that threatens to come into our minds and to our hearts. God, let us be guarded, let us be guided by your truth. We love you and we praise you. I pray, ask you to bless your people in a special way. I pray that you would bless your people throughout this world, God. People that are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you would bless them, help them. We pray for our officials, our government officials, our, our president for Congress. We pray for our state officials. We pray for our local government and community. Just help us, God, to be good citizens, to be representatives of our heavenly a kingdom, our heavenly home, which was, is with you. Let your work be manifested through our lives. May this fruit of the Spirit be seen and known to all who watch our lives. In Jesus' precious name.